Hi, I'm Amy. And I'm Marcella. And we are both transracial and transnational adoptees, as well as licensed clinical social workers and trauma therapists. We have dedicated our lives to shedding light on the complexities of adoption and the system responsible for them. We have seen both personally and professionally the silent and overt struggles brought on by this trauma, and we are determined to do our part to bring about healing. We know that some of the information we share and topics we unpack may be triggering and uncomfortable at times, but we feel the only way to promote change is to be honest by sharing our truths and elevating the experiences of those in our community. We hope you will join us on this journey of listening and learning with an open heart and an open mind. Welcome to Adoptee's Dish. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Adoptee's Dish. This is Amy. This is Marcella. Again, we're so glad that you guys are all here with us, tuning in for our part two of co-regulation, which we're really excited to dive into. Um, This is a topic that, like I said last time, like Amy and I could talk about for weeks on end. Totally. Weeks on end. It's such an important topic, and it's. I'm glad that it's starting to get a little bit more um, notoriety. A little more street cred. Yeah, a little more street cred. It's really, it's a great topic. So we hope you enjoyed the last topic or the last episode. And today we want to take it a step further and talk to you guys about co-regulation and what look what that looks like in the adoptee community and through an adoption informed lens. Yeah, so can I, I know that before we did um, our last co-regulation episode, we kind of front loaded you all with some information just on attachment. And we know that adoptees have these really huge attachment wounds that we're trying to heal from that really become activated just day in, day out in a lot of different ways that are not even at a conscious level. But I'm curious, Amy, when you work with your adoptee clients or adoptive parents, like how do you connect the dots of why is co-regulation so specifically important for the adoptee healing process? I think in a, the simplest answer, it's not a simple question, but I think for me, the first things that comes to mind is it's like the ultimate rupture and repair, right? Mm -hmm. Like we have, our systems have endured some of the most brutal, intense, um wounds when it comes to our emotional safety and our ability to connect with our caregivers because such a rupture has occurred in our ability to trust that our needs are going to be met as a result all of us in our own unique ways start running these really protective strategies and um of how to protect parts of us that are feeling vulnerable in connection and connection can feel like a trigger And so I think that as a result, a lot of times in our community, we see really big behaviors that feel confusing and scary sometimes, or we see the opposite end of the spectrum where there's really big perfectionism and internalized anxiety. Um, And that can be really scary for caregivers because they don't know what to do. That doesn't feel like a situation maybe that they grew up around or behaviors that they've ever been exposed to before. And so, because as humans we don't like to be uncomfortable i think caregivers then pull back or they try to control because of their own insecurities and they think that if i can just control this a little bit more then they'll be a little bit more compliant 
But in our community, because those wounds are so deep, the way that we repair that is to be able to connect and to get that child system on board again to believe that or have buy-in that in this relationship, they are able to access safety. And in this relationship, they are able to access connection that isn't gonna abandon them. And so for our community, it's really important that caregivers are able to commit and understand just how much this is lifelong work, that this isn't something that you just do when a child is young or when they just transition to your house after placement, that this is a life time commitment of unconditionality and working on that repair as it as that rupture will continue to rear its ugly face all throughout the lifespan yeah 100 percent. and i think that one of the things that i say oftentimes to parents is when you are attuning to your child when you are really just in it and connecting and like we said last episode serving as that anchor right? What you're providing for your child is this invaluable uh, new experience or different experience with big feelings or big hard feelings, right? When we talk Mm -hmm. about adoptees specifically with these attachment wounds and all of this transition and this just chaos that happens oftentimes really, really early on, Um, it is like a nervous system that just has been like beaten to the ground. It's been like beaten to the pulp and it has to be nurtured back to health. Like it's something that takes a lot of time and a lot of patience and a lot of care and all of those things. But the goal is to give this person new and different experiences with hard things, right? The first time hard things happen it was a life threat. It was earth shattering. It was the worst possible thing that could ever be imagined. It was like a death in some ways. It was like distress bigger than a hundred, right? And what that does for somebody's system is it lays the framework for all feelings are so huge and I can't tolerate it. And, Mm -hmm. you know, everything just has to go haywire. It sets the stage for people just literally detaching from their feelings and numbing themselves and just feeling like, oh, a feeling's coming up. I'm going to dim that down and just kind of like, you know, go into autopilot mode. And what we're doing with this co-regulation is setting the stage for just planting the seed that like, hey, maybe something scary happening doesn't have to mean you're going to die. Or maybe something that makes you a little bit mad or when you feel like you're not being heard doesn't mean that it is, you know, an actual life threat that's happening. And in the very beginning, and I think this is where sometimes you lose momentum with parents is you're literally just planting that seed for a really long time. And then if you're really consistent with it, really patient with it, then eventually that seed does start to take root. Yeah. A lot of times with my teens, parents are like, well, what do you guys do all day? I feel like you guys just sit there and talk. And that's exactly what we do sometimes. Sometimes it might from the outside looking in might not look like we're using this crazy intervention or this grandiose, I don't know, game or modality. Yeah. The modality is co-regulation and teaching these adoptees how to be in connection with other people when there isn't a threat or a perceived threat, right? And so teaching their systems of 
And then pausing and saying like, Hey, what are you noticing right now? Like I'm, I'm having yeah. a really great time. I love doing you. that. All I my love it too. Especially they like roll that. I know you're going to ask me where I feel it in my body. And I'm like, yes, yes, yes I am. you're right. You're like, yep, yes, pay, pay attention. You take a note. <laughs> yeah. I, I love it. And I think we work really similarly in that way, but from parents will get really confused. Like I'm paying all this money or I'm coming so frequently and I don't know what you guys are doing. There is such a therapeutic component to, especially for our community of learning what it feels like to be in connection. A lot of times us as therapists, we're the first people to come into an adopted person's life to normalize all these big feelings, to normalize all these curiosities and fears and confusion. And so that can be a really grounding thing for younger adoptees to have other adoptee clinicians say, I've been through this. I still walk through this. Right. And so that for them and for their systems to have an opportunity to come and to just rest is so amazing. And I can literally see it in the way that they carry their bodies and their face, the muscles in their face relax. And I can feel like they're not their so voice tense. Their voice changes. Just like all these little nuances. Yeah. Yes. And when you can just look at them and see that it literally warms me up inside because that's what I needed. And to know that I'm able to provide and hold that space for others just propels me to keep doing this work all day, every day. Um, but yeah, I think our community co-regulation, like I said last time, is like the best medicine. It really is. Like I, I talk to so many parents, uh, professionals, teachers within the schools, and I think you're totally on point with what we've been primed to think is like, there's some intervention, right? Like there's some sort of, you know, thing that I can do, or there's, you know, some sort of behavior chart that I can implement, or there's some sort of really strict boundary. And like, this is what I do. Not realizing that for those of us that have complex trauma, safety is the intervention, right? Like I want to say that again, safety is the intervention. And I think that that is not viewed in that way. I think that people want to bypass that step or think like, oh, well, yeah, like my kid is like fine. And like, of course I'm safe to my kid. I'm their parent. Right. But it's, it's so complex. Right. And what you may perceive as your child being safe, if we were to like have, you know, an x-ray of their internal system there's a lot of times when it's a complete chaotic mess, right? But they are able, we have this ability as adoptees to be these like chameleons and shift and change. And we can make you believe a whole lot of stuff that like we just want to put out there for you. And sometimes if you're not attuned enough, it looks like, oh yeah, that kid's fine, right? That kid's fine. They're not talking about this. This isn't bothering them. They feel totally safe, right? But they're not. On the inside, they are screaming and it's like so big and so huge. And like you said, I think as clinicians, I hold, um, I, I, I have such value and I, I cherish it so much being able to be in that position of just holding space and co-regulating without having to fix anything. Right. right? I think that is such mm -hmm. a huge thing. I know, you know, over the course of my life, being in, in places and spaces where you're just pathologized or you're so used to parents and stuff pointing the finger and saying, you know, you're doing this wrong and this is a you problem and why can't you just get over it and why are you so angry and it's just like you, 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 you and having to have the pressure of fixing it and it's like some of this stuff as 
hard and as sad as it is, the reality is it can't be fixed, right? Like the crappy bad thing already happened. And now like we've talked about, it's the repairing that can make it so that that doesn't make us crash and burn all the time. Totally. I think it's because like when you say safety is the intervention, I think that a lot of people are just programmed to think that st- that safety ends with the physical and they don't embrace that the emotional, the you know, all the racial, the all that stuff is an element of safety. And in our um our world of adoption, right? There's families become multicultural. They come from different cultures that have different takes or understandings on what co-regulation is or what that looks like. And even if a child is adopted as a baby or an infant, it doesn't mean that their body doesn't have a certain pairing of expectation of what they're going to receive just based off their biological lineage. Again, so much of this is science. But one of the activities that I always do when I first get a younger kiddo is because they don't understand this big clinically language, one of the things I love doing is I have them draw bubbles or raindrops or circles or whatever they want. And it's usually about like six or seven bubbles and one will represent home and one will represent school or their neighborhood and community or mom and then one will be dad and, and then one will be for themselves. And I ask them to fill in the bubble with the amount that they feel safe. So if they feel 100% safe at school, I want you to fill in the bubble or the raindrop 100%. Or if it's only like a teensy, teensy bit, then just put a little poke, like just a a little dot. And then when we get to the last one, when it's when it says me, I ask, I always ask them, like, how safe does it feel to be you? Like, what is it when you have emotions? Like, does that feel safe or does that feel kind of scary? Or like, what does that mean to you? Like, do you feel safe being you? And a lot of times for my adoptees, you know, like some bubbles will get like a good, you know, maybe three quarters filled in or, you know, there's like room for improvement, but there's pretty significant like levels of safety. But then when it comes up for them, oftentimes what I notice is they have a really hard time feeling safe in their own bodies. And that tells me that more co-regulation is needed because they need more caregivers to act as that anchor to help their nervous system that's flailing a little bit, that's feeling really dysregulated, to have a safe haven and refuge to go to while they sort that stuff out. And when when that bubble is not filled in, it tells me that they don't have a place to go and unload or to just be, and that their protective parts are just working overload. So it's a really good indicator for me to to know what that child has access to and how they're conceptualizing their own sense of safety in their world. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we all as humans have a right to feel safe within ourselves, like internal safety and being able to access that. And the risk when you don't have things like co-regulation and attunement and attachment is it teaches people very, very young, I have to escape being inside of me, right? Like being inside me is the literal threat. So I have to use whatever protective system or protective part is in my toolbox in order to literally escape myself. And that is a really heartbreaking reality that, you know, you know, I've faced as an adoptee that most of my clients have faced of just not even feeling at home in yourself. And I think that that's something that 
sometimes is like the little light bulb aha moment for parents of like, of course, like they wouldn't feel safe. Like all of the bad stuff happened and is just like stored in there. And we don't want them to feel alone in that. We don't want them Mm -hmm. to feel like you just have to escape yourself or there's times when you just can't even be in your own body. We want to help equip them with the tools to know this is what this is. Like we said last episode, this is temporary. You're not trapped in it. You're not going to, you know, be in this forever and that you're not alone, right? Like that we are going to get through this, that I am totally okay and willing and want to serve as your anchor as you're, you know, wading through all of this messiness. Yeah, totally. Yeah, hundred percent. I, it's interesting too, because I've, I love, one of the sessions I love working with actually is it's more rare, but adult adoptees, when they have adults as adults, um, and bringing their parents to session i think that's Mm. kind of like an interesting i would love to have that happen more i really really would it's so rare yeah it is super rare it's really cool because it it reminds me that there are a hand like a really good handful of adoptive parents that understand that this is a lifelong commitment and because our system is getting more education and resources around these topics when we were little these were not conversations that our parents nope. had access to. And so there was a lot now that older adoptees or parents are starting to be like, whoa, I like wasn't doing what I probably should have been doing. I had no idea. But then it's really cool instead of watching some parents, instead of running from that, they're like, okay, now I want to lean in and see like how I can help yes. prepare this stuff. Oh, the willingness, the willingness. Yeah, the curiosity yeah. in that, the openness to that. And that is really exciting for me as an adopted person, as an adoptee clinician, because it shows me, it gives me actually a ton of hope. Um, but That's I love those. Exciting. And I one of my favorite episodes um, or sessions many, 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 well, when I, when I get this opportunity is like having like a, like having adults with their parents co-regulate, right? However that looks. And like, we spend the whole session like practicing and it's cool because usually like the adoptee is like so nervous and it was like terrified to do this as an adult and confront this, but then you can see their systems completely relax once their parents are able to say like, calming things to them like you're safe here i love you and things like that it's just a really cool it's a really cool experience yeah yeah and it's it's something that's so needed and just being able to lean into that like it's just you know it just feels nice it's nice to witness it's nice to be around i know that even when i'm observing like parents doing that with you know children in sessions like it's just a it's a really cool thing mm-hmm. to witness just being able to handle the realities of being a human, like, and just mm-hmm. being able to normalize the humanness and all of it. Yeah. And it's interesting too, because sometimes I don't know if there's like, in our clinical world, we're taught like all these modalities and this is how you would chart it. And this is how you, and sometimes I think like when we have experienced this like profound loss in our heart, like we intuitively kind of just like have we gravitate towards what we just know the system needs, right? Yeah. So I don't know what this modality is called. Like when I'm having your child sit in your lap and I want you to like hug them and hold them and, you know, like rub their hair and I want you to whisper to them that they're safe and that you love them and give them that like full body experience or, you know, like 
having older kids being rocked like a baby and it might feel weird because it might feel really like okay wait like this is a seven-year-old why am i rocking them like a baby well maybe they miss out on that opportunity and their system needs to soak in that sensation of being held and talked to in that way they need to know and really embody that like i don't know what modality that is other than that's co-regulation and that's what it means to be human yeah right yeah like totally attachment focused yeah but it's just it's just being in connection and just teaching people how not to or working with people how not to be scared of being vulnerable and in connection with other people yeah and i think you hit on something really important which we wanted to focus on in this episode is you know going back to that question why is this so important for adoptees and you just hit on something so important of even if you're getting a teenager in your office or somebody who's in adolescence, a lot of times we have to kind of backtrack and meet some of those needs that weren't met when they needed to be. So for example, I work with a lot of um, like international adoptees that were in institutionalized care, multiple caregivers, you know, multiple babies in a nursery and just not receiving that level of one-on-one attunement, attachment connection that is just a non-negotiable when you're a baby. Like you have to have it in order to be able to flourish and grow. And so then when this person comes in to see me as maybe a 10-year-old or even sometimes like a 15-year-old, it is very jarring for parents when I will say, okay, we really have to backtrack it to the basics. And maybe we are going to be playing, like I call it the baby game, right? We're going to like be playing the baby game. Like you are going to be meeting this 15 year olds, much littler needs in order to provide some of that repair and things like that. Cause the reality is for, you know, months for sometimes these kids don't get adopted until they're much older. So sometimes for years, their systems did not receive that level of, um, of safety and just uh, that, that anchoring that is so needed. And I think that that is something that is really hard for parents to grasp because it's like, but I'm looking at this like 14 year old in front of me. What are you talking about that I have to, you know, be wrapping them up in a blanket and snuggling them or having them drink out of a sippy cup or any of those, like it literally sounds crazy to people, but what you're doing is you're tending to those parts that still were in existence before you were in your child's life. You're tending to those needs. Yeah. And I think it's like the same thing with, adult adoptees like when that's why time orientation is such a key huge thing that I work with them in session on because they can be running these strategies of self-protection and then when I ask them we really need to slow down here like what part of you is feeling that they need to do x y and z And then if I ask them, this might be like a really wonky question. Like if you had to check in with that part, like how old does that part feel? They're adults. And then they're like, wait a second, like this is going to sound really strange, but that part feels like it's three. Mm -hmm. Like, how does that make any sense? I'm like 40 years old. Well, it makes sense because there's something implicitly floating around in your system that's connecting, like that is coming alive and has been reawoken. And that's the perspective that you're functioning out of. If 100% of us are is in agreement that we are adults, then we are literally saying none of me is a child anymore. And if we take on that perspective that we're no longer children, 
that means our childhood needs have no longer been able to be met. And there's a huge grief process in that. So time orientation is a really big deal when working with with adoptees, I think. Yeah, I think something else that is a big challenge, um, and you kind of alluded to it earlier, is when the go-to for, you know, co-regulating is touch or like, you know, holding your kid or those kinds of Mm -hmm. things. We have to keep in mind that sometimes that alone in and of itself feels very triggering to somebody who's experienced trauma. So like, even though, yeah, like most of us think hugs are great, you know, all of those things, in that moment when they're already feeling threatened and distressed, a hug may just heighten that threat response. So I think what's really important and also something that's really complicated for adoptive parents is that the the co-regulation doesn't have to be necessarily hugs or holding. And it's almost kind of better when it's not doing a lot of talking, right? Like it's a lot better because in those moments, you're your, your child or this person can't process what you're saying, right? It's like garbled that it's, you know, coming in and out. They don't have the capability to process it. And so I, I really spend a lot of time educating parents on this can be just switching up the tone of your voice, right? If you would typically raise your voice to get your child's attention, go for a whisper and like whisper instead, or making sure that you're softening the muscles in your face or that you're not you know, standing right in front of them and towering over them, right? Like getting onto their level and making yourself like down onto the floor. Um, I'm a big proponent, you know, both of us were EMDR therapists. So like any kind of bilateral stimulation, I will sit in my office and just like rock back and forth and like model parents how to do that or how to do butterfly taps on themselves Mm -hmm. because, kids, even if they're not copying it exactly, their mirror neurons, which is, you know, stuff that's going on in their brain, see that. And it's like that anchor that's just kind of like holding them in there. Yeah. But even just some of those little things, it doesn't have to be words. Or like I tell parents, if you're going to use words, have it be like a short, tiny little sound bite of like, I see you and I'm here with you. Right. I'm not going to leave you alone. Like something so little and like, probably digestible, but then a lot of the other stuff has to just come, you know, through the nonverbals. Totally. Yeah, I know that's so perfect. And it's like so interesting to me the more I learn about you and talk with you, like how similar our approaches are in practice. But I, I love that. And I love giving parents those tools. And that's so key because kids can spend an hour a week with us. But the goal is is that the home becomes as therapeutic as possible. Those are the relationships that kids are growing into. Those are the spaces where kids need to access that safety 24 seven, 365. And giving parents that language and those tools is so key so that they have the confidence to know, okay, I'm noticing that I'm getting a little dysregulated. So maybe I take a break or I'm seeing that my child is getting a little bit dysregulated. So how can I be that anchor for them and bring them back to a sense of safety so that we can keep going? Yeah. And it's really about becoming attuned to those cues, right? Like I am a big proponent of, like I have lots of kids on my caseload that for them, regulation doesn't look like they're sitting still, right? Regulation looks like they're still up and they're moving and they're touching stuff and they're exploring, but their system is regulated. So it's also having to, you know, kind of check ourselves and say, am I expecting this kid to be regulated the way I view regulated or the way that I regulate, right? Maybe Mm -hmm. for a parent being regulated is like 
sitting on the couch and curling up and staying completely still under a nice cozy blanket. But for the kid, it's like, no, we're going to be moving and we're going to be like, you know, having all these big body movements and we're going to be talking and all of these things. And there's even right there, there's a misattunement, right? Because we can't just expect the child's regulation to be exactly like ours, especially, and this hits into, you know, just the fact that, you know, biologically, we're not the same as you, right? It's like, we're wired differently. Like my regulation is going to be different. It totally always was different than my adoptive parents' form of regulation. And that's because in utero and very early on, I was used to somebody else regulating me, right? I was used to hearing somebody else's heartbeat that maybe sounded different than my adoptive parents' heartbeat. Or I was used to somebody else's smell that was different than them. For you and I both, we were oriented to a totally different language, which was very soothing to us. And then you come and hear English and it sounds nothing like what we were accustomed to. So it's those kinds of things too that I I just uh, plant the seed with adoptive parents to remember is that some of the stuff that you're giving off um, non-verbally may be in contradiction to what that child is just wired for mm-hmm. or what will naturally help them to regulate. And it doesn't mean that you're doing something wrong. It just means it takes time to learn those cues. And there's like some, I call it, it's like you have to experiment a little bit. Yeah. You have to experiment with what works to meet the child's needs, to have it truly be adoptee centered. Totally. Yeah. I think those are such good, amazing amazing points. And just to remember that regulation isn't like this, like it's, it's, we have to look at it more like neutral, like they're not regulating the way I want them to. It's just regulation is when other stuff is happening that that child or that person isn't getting thrown out of connection from themselves or from other people. And so if that child is happy and playing and loud, that doesn't mean that they're not regulated. It just means like if other things are happening around them, they're still able to stay connected and grounded and they're not going to get completely like like to that place of what did you call it like the place of like no return yeah right? that the is point what... of no return <laughs> so and i think that for adopted people because there's been such significant attachment wounds those cues that they're reading that you were talking about we are so much more hyper vigilant to those cues. So if I notice that mom looks away and isn't paying attention to me, oh, my system shuts down because nope, I'm not important, right? Where it's instantaneous. It's instantaneous. So, or if mom just doesn't say, hey, can you hold on one second and give me that courtesy and just starts having another conversation, again, I might feel really upset or get angry because like, no, it's my turn to talk, right? We are so hyper vigilant to this because we've already learned our systems have already learned that the very thing that we need to survive this connection is our number one trigger, our number one threat. This has been the one thing that has completely hijacked our systems and it didn't pair with the expectation when we were born or when we lost our caregivers at any point of the lifespan. Yeah. So, I was just gonna say, so we, because we're constantly assessing that and we're so hyper vigilant to our caregivers and how they are communicating back with us, like parents, the adoptive parents, the sooner you can kind of learn about what signals you're putting out, the sooner you're gonna be able to foster a sense of safety for your child because you're gonna say, okay, I know that I tend to roll my eyes all the time. 
Like I just tend to do that. I get like, it's something I've always done. Well, then be mindful of that and intentional because you're, whether your child is never going to know your intention behind that, that they're just going to know the impact of, oh my God, why does mom keep rolling her eyes at me? Yeah. Yeah. And I think that segues into what, where my mind went of, you know, you as the parents have your own protective systems that you have Mm -hmm. built up over time. You have your own hard things that you've been through. You have your own experiences as a child and how you were parented that you inevitably bring into your parenting journey and experience. And something that I find so important and so impactful to orient parents to is when your child is having a big behavior, right? Or when even when your child's regulated, but their their version of regulated is just like they're moving and they're shaking and they're all over the place. Or when your child just gets really angry or when your child um, says something that is quote unquote disrespectful or you perceive it as disrespectful. I really encourage parents to sit with what does that stir up for you? Because within the parenting journey, what most of the time is happening is number one, that thought of like, oh my gosh, I'm a bad parent, right? I'm doing something wrong because my kid is doing this or behaving in this way. So there's that. But then like 95% of the time, what I see happen, if we kind of have the parents float that back to like, when you see your kid in distress and like so angry and wanting to punch something, Can you like float back to like where that takes you? And most of the time it's to a place where they were very similar in age to that child and they felt that same big feeling and they were met with something that was not co-regulation, right? They were yelled at, they were sent to their room. They just inherently knew like, oh, I can't let it out. I just have to do all of this. So in that moment, you as the parent oftentimes are reliving your own distress with that big feeling that never got digested. You never got the help with when you needed it. And then you're inadvertently putting that on your kid and that's not your kid's job. So I think that that is a huge facet of what makes co-regulation so hard for parents is that so often they haven't done their own work and are bringing their own stuff into the situation, into the parenting journey. And they're not able to be that anchor for the kid because their littler parts are getting triggered and distressed. And a little one can't parent another little one. That's what I tell Mm -hmm. parents all the time. And how is that parent getting co-regulated themselves, right? Like when they're getting pushed out of their own like window of tolerance, who's their circle of support? Who is able to help ground them and get them back to, you know, a place of deeper regulation? For example, for me, I am an adopted person and I'm also a parent, a biological parent. And there's certain days of the year that I just really, really, really struggle with. And that is my birthday. And birthdays or holidays that my birth family is like like if it's like my birth sister's birthday or like and there's a lot of emotion there and a lot of reasons why those days are really hard for me they're very 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 triggering for me and so I know that my window of tolerance on those days is just going to be smaller than perhaps any other day of the week or any other day of the year so I, I my husband knows like these certain dates and he knows that he has to be a little bit more supportive on those days or he has he understands that I'm just not going to be functioning in the way that I normally show up to our family and that's his way of helping me co-regulate because he knows that this is hard for me 
all of us need our own co-regulation and all of us deserve that but it's being mindful of that so we're not causing more harm in our own triggers right and so we have to have like our safety nets in a way and that's what i talk to parents about like what is your safety net who is your support what are your coping how are you processing this stuff because if you're not able to get your own system regulated then how are you going to be able to help regulate another system Mm -hmm. yeah exactly i think that that is perfectly said and i think that it is something that is really hard because i think a lot of parents they're, they're not engaging necessarily in good self-care, don't have that support system or feel like, oh, I shouldn't have to ask for help or I shouldn't need these things or any of that kind of stuff. And, you know, they, they do. You have to be able to have that ability to have a recharge and something that fills up your cup in order to be able to help your kid when they inevitably have a really distressing moment or something gets triggered for them. Totally. Yeah. I'm curious, Amy, for you, when you are working with clients, because I know I work with plenty of clients who parents will come in and they will be like, how do I co-regulate in this situation, right? Like, how do I co-regulate when my kid is being really aggressive and it becomes like a safety concern? Or how do I co-regulate when my kid just rejects everything that I'm trying to do or how do I co-regulate when I'm in the middle of, you know, Target and there's just like all of this stuff around and we're not even in our own place? Like what are some, um, I guess, just words of wisdom that you give to people? Because the reality is like co-regulating is hard, people. Like I just want to mm-hmm. put it out there. Even we as therapists, like it is hard for us and it's something that we are constantly practicing and honing in on that skill and like, you know, exercising that muscle. But like what are some words of wisdom that you give for people when, the reality is like, it's, it's a really hard situation. I think the first thing that I always tell parents and please, please, please just like trust your child's nervous system. The, Mm. the first sign of resistance I think is when parents immediately get triggered by their child's behavior and try to take control of it. To me, if the behaviors are that extreme or that or feeling that big or whatever, it tells me that there's like a little bit of a power dynamic going on or a little bit of a power struggle. And the parents need first and foremost to um, trust their child's nervous system that they can't handle that right now. That's like their first sign that, okay, I need to co-regulate because my child is flailing here. And I, it's not about like, what can I do to get them to comply? It's about what can I do to get them to connect and to feel safe again, right? How can I plug them back into the ground? And um, so I always, I work actually like surprisingly have a lot of conversations with parents about trusting your child's nervous system oh another way that is like when a child is super resistant to doing other things like resistant to coming to therapy for example or like i see that a lot with my teens like i don't need therapy like this is just something my mom wants to do or like won't even get out of the car and come in for intake i see that sometimes um not as much now that i'm virtual but like won't come to the computer that's happened a couple times and i just tell mom and dad you know what like this is a great opportunity to practice some co-regulation and trusting their nervous system. That's always like the first thing I say. What about you? Yeah, no, I think that that, I mean, that's huge. Just the trust in like 
that your window of tolerance, right? Yeah, like your capacity. window of tolerance. And, and I'm a I'm a big proponent of when I work with kids or even when I work with adults, it's like, you know yourself the best, right? You, I, I think that that is such a beautiful and important message to instill so early in kids is I can't, I who am I to tell you how you're feeling on the inside, right? Who is any grown up to tell you this is what you're thinking and this is what you're feeling like, no, little one, like, you know yourself the best. And, you know, I'm here to, to rock with that and to figure out what we can do to maybe make that feel a little bit different at some point or to just kind of see like what we can do to expand that window of tolerance. But um, I think that a lot of it is just really working with the parents to make sure that they are being really consistent with it. I think one of the biggest things I see is when a, like a particularly hard situation arises and, you know, maybe co-regulation doesn't work right off the bat, or it takes a really long time. Like people get really easily frustrated with mm -hmm. that. Like, let's be real. Like we all want an instant fix. Like that's mm -hmm. just how we're wired. We want something quick and easy. And like, you just push a button and you know, everything's back to being at a baseline. And this is not that. Right. And I think that a lot of parents really struggle with that of like, this is something that requires a lot of patience and a mm -hmm. lot of compassion and a lot of ability and work needs to be done on being able to access your best self, like the, the you that is bigger and wiser and stronger and braver for your kid in these tough moments. Totally. I can give you a, a personal example of like just having to really hone in on that patience that happened like two nights ago in our house. So I have two kids. I have an almost six-year-old and a four-year-old. My four-year-old currently has a fever and my six-year-old the other day fell really hard at kindergarten recess and scratched his lip, like busted it up pretty good. And between his nose, what's that called between your nose and your lip, like totally like cut up. I got a call from the nurse. Like it was a, it was a big deal. Your babies are just going through it. We're just having our, a winter y'all. Like it is not fair. I'm like, it's like our initiation to Minnesota has been a little bit, a little bit extreme. We can let up now. So that night, my daughter was just kind of having a restless night because I think she was, that was the night, looking back, I think that was the night she started having, like her cold was setting in and she was just coughing a lot. And so we, we've always been a co-sleeping family, but my kids are transitioning like back and forth, like to their rooms. So I brought her into my bed because I could hear her like coughing really bad. And my son woke up in the middle of the night and was like, mom, like why is sister get to sleep in there and I don't and like in the middle of the night was like wanting to like having really big feelings about like why he didn't get to come in. I was exhausted. Oh my God. I was like, I, there's no way I'm having this conversation with you at like 2 a.m. I am beyond tired. And he was so upset. And I was like, please just like go lie down, like go back to your room, just like go lie down. And it became like this thing. And I was like, dude, just like, please, like I have to make sure sister's okay. Like go to your room, go to your room, go to your room. And eventually I was like, oh, okay, this is going to be so hard. I'm so tired. I don't have coffee. Like, but I have to like, I have to be like this co-regulatory mom, like force right now. And I got up and I sat with him and for 45 minutes, my dude sat there and would like refuse to go to sleep. He was so angry that like, and offended oh. that I didn't let him come in and he had to sleep in his big boy bed. And eventually finally, like after like close to an hour, like I'm not even kidding. He was like, you know what, mom? I'm just really sad. And I was like, well, why are you sad, bud? And he was like, because you're taking care of sister because she's sick, but you're not taking care of me because I'm hurt. 
Mm. And I was like, okay, buddy, that makes so much sense. Right? Ah. Like, like, I am so proud of you for being so courageous to tell me that. And like, that makes so much sense. Oh my God. Like, of course you got hurt today. And of course that was a really big and scary thing that happened to you at recess. Like you fell on some ice Mm -hmm. and sister's sick. Like that's also like super hard for mommy because I have to make sure she's okay. But I am so proud of you for telling me how big and scary that was. And it took us an hour at like 1.30 a.m. Yeah. It was not comfortable. He slept in the next morning a little bit because he was so exhausted. But if I had just yelled at him and said, get back to your room, go to sleep and closed my door, yeah, I would never have learned what was inside of his heart. Which and was so pure, like it just even that message, right? It's like, you know, it started as mad and lots of time it usually does, but underneath it, right? It was underneath like- it, which is always what it is, right? Is that yeah. like, yeah. I just need to be seen. I just need to be affirmed. I just need to know, like, I'm scared. And I wasn't picking up on that, right? Like I have another child over here yep. who's sick, isn't feeling good. I'm tired. I'm like, it's like about to be the holidays. I'm doing all the things and like wrapping up work and all this stuff. And so like, I probably haven't been as present as I could be, but it was like, and it's like just so timely that we're talking about co-regulation today because it was like last two nights ago. But um, it just is like, if we can just pull it together and have this like hold the space for our kids we will peel back those layers. We will learn about what makes them tick, what makes them feel safe, what makes them need like a sense of belonging. They will open up, but they will not open up if we don't create pathways towards safety. Yeah, if you're meeting them with the logic instead of just meeting them with the holding space for the emotion, right? Like it is not our job to rush them through it. And I think that's something that I always just have parents sit with of co-regulation is not something you can just rush through, right? It's not like, okay, like my kid's having a big moment, but we still got to get out the door for school. So like, I'm going to like do a big deep breath in front of them and then like still hurry them out the door. Like that is not guilty, not not (laughs) co-regulation. Sorry, Amy. No, that's not it. Um, But you make up for it in a million other ways. Um, but again, it's, it's not having to do it a hundred percent of the time, but if that is what your norm for co-regulation is, right. Right. Quote unquote, like that's not it. That's not the ticket because that's then just sending the message to your kid. Like you have to rush through this because I don't like it and we've got stuff to do. And there's other things that are just like more important than this. And then they don't get the chance to have the dignity of coming to some of these really beautiful conclusions and working some of that out for themselves and just having the space to be like, Hmm, I can't put my finger on it right yet. Like in the beginning, he couldn't put his finger on it that he was sad about that. It was just coming out as all of this other stuff. But when the space is given, there's just this, this ability for that thinking brain and whatever capacity it's capable of being to go back online. And then there can be you know, these just different experiences with the big feelings. Yeah. And I think for parents, it comes down to like really believing, honestly, like I think we can read about it or hear it all the day, but like truly embodying the belief that your kids are not being manipulative. Like it's not a thing, people. No, it's not a thing. Manipulating you. No, like my son didn't want to be awake at 1 30 in the morning any more than I wanted to be awake. It was just he, his system had reached 
it was out of his window of tolerance. It had reached a level of like, I have to figure this out in order for me to be able to sleep again or else it's just going to sit and simmer in my system and I'm not going to be okay. Mm-hmm. Right. And so it was either he, I, as a parent, I knew like I either have the choice to let him go back and do that by himself or we can do this together. And then like, it's Bruce Perry always says like, and I love this is all like when I did a training with him, like forever a million years ago in 2008. And he said, you're either going to pay now or you're going to pay later. Right. Like when it comes to parents and it's either like you're going to put all this effort up front to like co-regulate and teach kids how to be present with their emotions and hold space for them or you're going to pay for it later with like really big behaviors, these really big confusing things. And like, that's just what it is. Like, that's just it's like Amy and I as teenagers, which was yeah, a real, which is like, I wouldn't recommend it. I wouldn't <laughs> recommend it. <laughs> Zero out of 10 would not recommend. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. <laughs> I had some moments. <laughs> yeah, there were, there were some maybe bright spots. Maybe one out of 10 would recommend. Yeah, but don't want to revisit. Um, yeah, but I think that that's such an important thing. And my, my hope is that that can be this grain of hope and this motivation for parents to do this. And I just want to impart, like we've talked about in other episodes, just like learning about this stuff that's adoption related. It is never too late to start doing this. Like, yes, it's going to hit different if you're doing this from the time that your baby's itty bitty versus if you start doing this when your kid is 16, it's going to hit different, but it is never too late to start infusing this into your parenting journey. And it will still have benefits. It will still be promoting those feelings of safety and security, and it will still help with creating a more connected attachment between you and your child. As an adult adoptee now in your life, what is something that for you is like you need this and you, when someone's co-regulating you? Like what's oh my gosh. I, I need there to not be a lot of like talking. Like I just, I really am somebody that I just need the space to be held and I need just a lot of that validation that what I'm feeling experiencing like makes sense like that for whatever reason is just like it 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 feels very regulating to me when somebody's just like that makes sense that you would feel that way yeah like I hear you on that like that is something that is really soothing to my system and also like having somebody really just be present like I, I can't handle it when somebody's you know washing dishes or moving around like I need somebody to be there with me be with me I'm the same I'm 100 basically the same or the same person no and like if you talk to my mom she'd be like that she she would laugh because that's exactly how I am like she's a very multitasking type of person and it gives me a lot of anxiety and if I like I will literally stop talking like mom I really need you to like I I know you I logically know you're listening but I like literally need to see your eyes like when I'm talking to you and I need to be able to read your entire face yeah or yeah no 100% or even it'll even be like when I'm not able to physically like sometimes I'll just call my mom right like sometimes I'll just call her because like something big happened or I just need to process something or whatever and like if she's doing other things or if she's like oh hang on marcella hang on a second like i'm at work and i gotta pick up this phone call i gotta do this like i will literally feel my system like freaking out and that is i i think that now after doing all of my own work and just learning more i can recognize it so much more as a kid i never was able to recognize oh yeah that was what was happening Mm -hmm. or that i 
needed regulation and like my system just had all sorts of other ways of dealing with it. But now I am much more aware of when I'm in the presence of somebody that is not providing that co-regulation. Totally. And, and yeah. yeah, another way is um, I love having my hair played with. Like mm. it really helps calm me down and makes me feel suit. Like it's like that touch. Mm -hmm. like that touch is so therapeutic and healing for me. Yeah. And it's always on my head for some reason. Like I have to have like when my mom, like whenever I go home, like I'm literally in my mid thirties. And whenever I go home, my mom knows that like the first night I'm back, I will curl up in her lap and be like, play with my hair. Like, mm -hmm. I, like it just mm -hmm. does something to my whole system to like re it like resets me and like, mm -hmm. makes me be like, okay, I'm home. I'm here. Yeah. I'm safe. I'm going to be okay. But it's like opposite wise. Like when I'm activated, like I still to this day, even after all my processing, like it's so much better than it was as a kid, but I cannot tolerate touch. No, when I'm at, when I'm in the thick of it, I, yeah, that is not soothing to me. It's not, yeah, not I can't be not regulating. Mm -hmm. And I say that to be like, and I know we're being vulnerable with that because, but it's, I think it's important because it's very common in our community mm -hmm. and I think it can be really baffling to parents. Totally. Well, and I think that a lot of them, and I mean, I can speak from my own experience and, you know, parents that I work with, I think that that's interpreted then as our parent from our parents on as a rejection, right? Mm -hmm. Like you're rejecting my hug and you're rejecting my kisses and all of those things. And it's like in the moment, that's not what I'm thinking. I'm not thinking like, oh, let me be a jerk and say, you know, push her away. I'm not going to hug her. It's just like, that doesn't feel good to me and I might not be able to verbally express it but I think that a lot of parents especially those who haven't worked on their own trauma and their own stuff perceive us pushing away as like we're rejecting them or they're doing something wrong or they're not good enough and it's like it, it's just not about you we are getting close to going into community corner but before we wrap up are there any final words that you think adoptive parents or families or caregivers or community members need to know about how to tune to our community when it comes to co-regulation? We as an adoptee community, we, sh we shoulder so much. We shoulder so much. And absolutely, I think that it is important and imperative to parent for parents to be practicing this co-regulation with their own children but I also think that it's stuff that needs to be carried into other spaces and especially like even just in the work that we do, like I think a lot of people don't realize that even though like we look like we have it all together and things like that, like we still get triggered. We still get really triggered. Mm -hmm. And I think that there is not enough uh, focus on the fact that we as adults adoptees still hold all of this stuff and are still primed to react in a certain way and that part of being an ally for us is being able to hold space right totally. it's like being able to hold space and you know whether we are being you know co-regulators to other adoptees out there or you guys are kind of giving us some of that just grace and some of that space like that is you know another way that we heal systems with this idea of co-regulation and attunement totally 100% what about you any last nuggets of wisdom kind of echoing what we already talked about is that if you feel like your child is pushing you away and doesn't want this 
that as the number one key that they need co-regulation. And so never let a child trick you. And I don't mean that like they're being manipulative and tricking, but like don't ever conceptualize their behaviors as they don't need or want connection. Again, as humans, we all need and deserve connection. And so um, we always need to err on the side of how can I increase my connection? How can I increase pathways towards safety here? rather than assuming that that's not what someone's wanting just because their behaviors is something that we don't know how to tolerate. For sure. For sure. And then Welcome to Community Corner, where every episode we will share a tip to deepen allyship within the adoptee community. No matter your connection to adoption, it is our collective responsibility and within our capacity to heal broken systems. Welcome back to this episode's Community Corner. We just wanted to touch on with this being our second co-regulation episode, the idea that for adoptees in particular, regulation is unfamiliar, right? It is something that, especially when we have gone through all of this trauma, all of this chaotic stuff very early on, our systems are wired that way and we'll seek out experiences, we'll seek out things that will mimic that chaos because even though it's not comfortable, it is what we are used to. It's what feels quote unquote normal to us. So being able to adopt this approach is going to take time to feel safe to the child. It doesn't mean that they don't need it. It doesn't mean that they don't want it. It just means that it's gonna take time because it feels very unfamiliar. And so that is just, you know, a little nugget to make sure that you guys don't give up on this process, making sure that you are remembering that this is such an important thing to provide to your child to kind of rewire and rewrite the script of what their little nervous system is accustomed to, and that you guys play a really important role in being able to make safety connection attunement feel like the safe thing that all adoptees deserve. Yeah. So thank you guys for tuning in to another episode. We are so happy that you are in community with us. You can reach out to us at our email at adopteesdish at gmail.com or on Instagram at adopteesdishpodcast. We hope you guys will join us for another episode and thanks for tuning in. Thanks so much. Thank you so much for listening to Adoptees Dish. We want to give a special shout out to Patreon, Spotify, iTunes, and Anchor. If you like what you heard and want to support our work or allow us to have amazing guests on the show, please consider making a donation. We can be reached on Instagram at Adoptees Dish Podcast, at Grohio Blossom, and Marcella Maslow. And you can send us emails at adopteesdish at gmail.com. Thanks again for listening and join us next week for our next episode. Please share this podcast. Talk to others about things you learned. Together, we have the potential to heal broken systems.